Good morning, everybody, or afternoon, whatever time of day you are listening to this. Um, I am Aaron Snyder's lovely co-host today, <laughs> and I don't know what to say. <laughs> we'll say welcome to Kafarucast in there somewhere. Oh, welcome to Kafarucast, totally, everyone. You totally choked. Sorry about that. I'm just kidding. I'm new at this. Whatever. You've done one before or two. <laughs> How many yeah. have you done so far? Four or five? I've done, uh, I can't. Technically an Insta pro. Many. At this point. <laughs> uh, sure. uh, so uh, today, Frank has uh, syphilis. No, Frank has COVID. Um, so he's been home for a while now. About, a, I think, a week now. Is he dead? Have you heard from him? Yeah, he keeps sending me emails. Okay, so he's not, Frank's not dead. So I was going to do this podcast on my own, and then Dana the other day, I was letting them know that, um, they should do podcasts while I'm gone cause I'm gone a bunch. And so then I thought it'd be a good idea to bring Dana on and talk about some of the different, uh, questions that I've gotten over the last couple, three months from different things that, that I've done that people had questions about from cornering away shots to meat care, things like that, staying warm. So I figure we would cover those. And if, Dana has questions. I may bounce some things off of her, ask her what she might do in certain scenarios, and then kind of break them down from there. Does that sound good? Yes. I kind of surprised her right at the end <laughs> to set pillar to hop on here. So let's talk about um, breaking down animals first. That was a question I got. I got a lot about wh- what kind of axe or saw I bring into the backcountry, which mm-hmm. I which is none. I don't bring anything. So I break uh, pretty much everything down with a, a Taito knife. I Sometimes I'll bring a folding knife or a, a little fixed blade, but I don't ever use that to break the animal down. That's just like my camp or my pack knife. So how many animals have you broken down so far or helped or watched? Um, helped. I So I did my whole whitetail with Abby's supervision this um, a couple months ago. <laughs> and then... I've helped with maybe five or so. Yeah. So was it as bad as you thought it would be when you were diving in? Um, it's it was a little weird at first to get get in there and get your hands dirty, but once once I got going, it it wasn't weird at all. I uh, so what would you hypothetically? You're solo, <laughs> and you put an animal, an elk, on the ground. They're a little bit more of a pain. Yeah. What's the first thing you're going to do? Um, Other than call me or <laughs> call <Brady>. you. <laughs> yeah, call, yeah. definitely call somebody. But um, depending on where I was, I'd probably gut it because I don't think I could get get it taken care of quickly enough. Um, that's That's been one of my biggest kind of worries going and hunting by myself is breaking an animal down. I figured. So what, what, what's a good time do you think it would be to break? What, t- how much, how long do you think it takes me to break a elk down solo? Like you ID or bone me, like, okay. um, or someone that knows what they're doing. How long do you think it takes to, you know, from, we're not including taking pictures and shit, but yeah. just cutting the animal up and getting it in game bags. Maybe like hour and a half. And then depending upon the, the weather at that time, um, and we'll go over that in a minute. Actually, we'll wait to go because <laughs> I'll go over the different scenarios of what to do and when, depending upon it's hot or it's cold or there's bugs and all that kind of shit. Yeah. Um, so why would you gut it over deboning it? Um, just to 
start cooling the body down. So mostly. do you think it's quicker to gut it? Because um, you still have hide and the potential for bone sour. And, and as I'm asking these questions, there's probably a lot of you out there that may have the same one. So yeah. these, these are important. Um, I don't think it, I, I don't know, not necessarily, but for a newbie like me, mm-hmm. it would, I mean, I doing like the gutless method, I could do it, but it would probably take me a while and I don't know how to do it quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would basically be teaching myself as I was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you, if you gut it, um, it de- definitely obviously cools the body down a, a bunch. Yeah. Um, and so let's say we're bouncing around a little bit here. Hypothetically, if you had to leave the animal, which is very realistic for, for you, if you mm-hmm. were solo yeah. Um, and you are a mile from your camp and you're three miles or two and a half miles in, which is fairly realistic to an elk hunt. You're yeah. two or three miles in and a half mile to a mile from camp. And you shot it at last light. Um, what would you want to do? Gut it and potentially what else? Um, I don't know. So the the best thing to do, and this is if it's, if it's cold, it's not as big of a deal, but... Yeah. Put a slit down the uh, dorsal slit, down the back strap, um, down the the cape. Um, mm-hmm. Peel that open. Uh, get that opened up on the back, and then prop sticks in the rib cage. Get the rib cage wide open, and then split as far down the pelvis as you can. I don't. Um, if we have a Rambo knife, I'll split the pelvis open. But generally, I just cut it pretty deep. Get the the butthole out if I'm gutting it. Um, and just let it cool. Um, that's pretty much it. And hope to God that the coyotes don't get mm-hmm. it. That's the only downside though. Yeah. Fuck that up pretty quick. So, um, what would make you not take care of it that night compared to going back to camp? Like what would say, what would make you just dump the guts and say, piss on it and go back to camp? Um, and fear is fine. I mean, that's, it, there's nothing wrong with fear. Kind of probably my mental state, you know, how long <laughs> I've been out there. If I'm just over it i may just (laughs) just do just not want to deal with it at that point Mm -hmm. and go back to camp call somebody wait for calm down a little bit (laughs) yeah yeah so no those are good points so but when in when in doubt um try to get the meat off of it because uh you probably won't meat's not going to spoil from the weather probably yeah it'll I get eaten, uh, depending upon where you're at. Uh, so that's the only downside. So in the case of like you first shoot your, you shoot your first elk and you're solo, you're probably gonna be all fucked up (laughs) anyway. Right. And not making maybe conscious decisions. So one of the things like I talked about on a podcast before is that don't lose your crap rock because one of the first things you do is start losing shit because you're just not mentally, um, your norm, right. You're not thinking. So I try when I, when that animal hits the ground, you know, depending upon the weather, I kind of map out, okay, where could I hang some of the meat? If it's cool enough, as I cut the meat off, I hang it up to let it cool and and drip. And then also to where to put all your shit because you're probably going to lose something. Um, Meaning whether it's knives or, you know, I've seen people leave their wallets, right, to pull their tag (laughs) out. Um, So you want to get kind of a general pile of crap in one spot so you don't lose everything. And then whether you, you gut it, which I wouldn't, which I totally get where Dana's coming from. If you don't know how to debone, definitely gut it. Um, deboning, once you learn how, which probably should do a video at some point on deboning. It's actually probably quicker than gutting it. Um, it's certainly cleaner. 
uh, it's just, it's a little daunting until you, you know, you've, you've done it. Right. Yes. So and um, an elk is really big. Like, <laughs> yeah, even the little ones are pretty big. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the biggest thing I wanted to make sure people understand is uh, you don't need anything more than a, than a Taito knife or, or a surgical blade knife. You can break down a moose with that thing. You don't need a saw and you, you don't need an ax. Um, yeah. it doesn't hurt, but like. I was cutting the legs off of a deer uh, with my knife and people were like enamored that you could do that. And so uh, at the the knee joint, Mm -hmm. if you actually just put a slit on one side of the knee and the other, you can just snap it off. Mm -hmm. So you don't need a saw for that. Um, When you go to cut the head off, if you actually go instead of the top down, if you go from the bottom up and go right up against the jaw, the head will pop right off yeah sometimes people fight with that they'll be yeah. twisting for well and abby when we were in nebraska um since abby's a doctor she she just sticks her knife kind of right at the base of the skull at the back yeah and just just cut you know cuts a little bit severs the spinal cord and pops the head off it, it's the same principle yeah the only thing that the jawbone does is it gives you a mark to not fuck up uh to, to cut yeah. um because a lot of times you come from the top down you don't know what you're doing you're yeah cutting and twisting and cutting and twisting and, and it takes forever where the jaw just gives you a line to to follow for so it'll pop off easier yeah um so the the thing that so you got an animal down whether you got to go gutless or um uh, debone it or just take the guts out or however you want to do it you kind of want to look around how bad the bugs are um and if the bugs are bad but it's windy the bugs aren't bad so you want to take whether it's the quarters or the debone meat i do my best to hang those up and let them cool through the entire process so if i can leave them laying out and the bugs aren't bad i'm going to leave that meat out hanging to cool and then once that is cool you know everything's getting cooled off um i'm taking it after it's cooled as much as it can be and putting it in a a game bag this is where people can getting themselves in trouble too is if you just pile a bunch of warm meat in a game bag and don't let it cool everything in the middle will go bad um so if you have to do that which that happens all the time you know you're just throwing it straight in the game bag when you get back to your camp you want to take uh that meat and hang it out pull it out or you want to rotate the meat so the warm stuff in the middle is on the outside and the stuff that's on the outside goes to the middle and if there's a creek or something a lot of times we'll we'll make a kind of a pole to go across or if there's branches hang it um above the water and so it's has that um kind of cool air coming down from the creek yeah to cool off the meat if you can get the meat cool before it goes into the game bag you're it, it's a bonus um if you can't you just have to work more later and rotate the meat and shit out so the the thing like with with all of this is uh you know how, the big question is how long will that meat last before you have to take it to a processor so how long do you think meat can make it in the backcountry in decent temperatures Ooh, um i i don't know um last year justice killed his elk in the morning and we didn't find it till the early afternoon and the meat was still okay um some of it had spoiled like the some the the stuff that was in the sun Mm -hmm. but it was out there for half a day and still okay so how long would it make it after it's all broken down, though? You got it in game bags. How long can you keep hunting for before you got to get it out? Um, if it's cold or you're able to get it in a cold creek, Se- probably. September. So 
I don't know. I would try to get it out as soon as possible just to be safe. Gotcha. And, and, um, and that's not a bad safety, you know, being, yeah. being, uh, uh, Oh, Abby sending me, uh, she sent me that while I sent her a picture of my hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, you could five to seven days is very doable, but yeah. if you, you gotta let the meat cool and then get it in a Creek or a snow and bank. That's if you have like a Creek or a snow bank. Yep. And then if it's just a, which I get made fun of for saying this, like an ecothermal corridor, which is, you know, when you're walking through the woods and one spot is really cool and you're uh-huh. like, wow, it's cool. Well, if you hang it there, it'll still, if it gets cool overnight, it's crazy. The next day it's, the meat is still basically super cold and it gets that outer crust on it. Yeah. So you can, it can, you can make it a long time if you're, if you're careful when you're a dumb shit though, and you leave it in the sun, uh, you don't let it cool down. Those are the things that can really be a, a problem. The yeah. Creek once it's cool is, is awesome because it's, like yeah. a refrigerator so you can you know or or at colder than a refrigerator in some cases for your kill kit what do you have um gloves game bags the little tito knife extra blades um and then like a plastic sheet in case i need it the one that comes with like the caribou game bags mm-hmm. um i think that's it and and that's um ribbon you want ribbon and cord yeah so the ribbon, I, yeah, is, I do have that also. Yeah, the ribbon's more of a a wound kit than a kill kit because it's for tracking. Um, so I use reflective cord for hanging the meat bags up just so I can see it with a headlamp. The one thing about cord, and in, in, in let's say Dana's case where she may not have enough um, ass behind you to move an elk around, it's advantageous sometimes to tie the legs up vertical. And so if you're on a hillside, rather than trying to you know, look like a monkey humping a football. Um, you can tie the the up upper hill or the the sides of the legs that are uphill on the uphill side to trees, and then it'll naturally spread out, and then you don't have to worry about it rolling down the hill. Yeah, that cord comes in handy for that as as well. And so, this is all easier said than done if you've never done it before because you're kind of crapping your pants and you don't know what to do. So, the best thing I mean to remember is, when in doubt, get the meat cooled off as much as possible. Make sure that all the meat is cool before it goes in the game bag. And if not, make sure you rotate that out and then find the coolest possible place you can. Now, one thing you can do is actually, because a sleeping bag is an insulating piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. So it'll insulate cold or heat. And so if the meat is cold overnight, if you put your sleeping bag over it, it actually maintains the coolness. It's just holding in the cold air. Yeah. If your body's hot, it's holding in hot air. So, a sleeping bag actually works pretty good to keep your meat cool once it's already cool. Now, don't be a dipshit and throw your sleeping bag over it on a 100-degree day and the meat's not cool. It'll insulate warmth. So if you get it cool, the, the bag helps. Um, the other thing to, to think about when you're dealing with the game bags, whether it's deboned or, or bone-in, uh, predators can be a problem. So um, if you can't hang hang up the meat, like in your case, you just can't. You don't have enough game bags. You can't pull the, um, you know, the meat up into a, a tree. Um, we'll hang it off cliffs at times where you can lower it, and then you can kind of more or less belay it down and then tie it off, uh, hanging off a, a cliff or a crevice because it'd be difficult for you to yard up a rear quarter and yeah. tie it off. So those are all things to kind of to think about. you have anything to add? Um, No. 
Are just, you sure? Just, it's, yeah. I, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of experience with this, so I, I don't really know where you would go in, in certain instances. Initially, everything's like a guess until you actually, you know, kill something. So when I say a guess, meaning you're, you're hypothesizing, right? Just like the whole adventure. People are imagining, they're watching what they're envisioning elk running in and then they're envisioning the pack out and you know whatever every, you know you, you keep up in your own mind how many trips would it take you to get an elk out by myself mm-hmm. just you yourself and i and if i was really probably three okay De- so on us depending on the size of the elk so a good rule of thumb uh which is this is pretty on point is the amount of meat you'll get off the animal is 30% of what it weighs on the hoof. So if it's 500 pounds, you'll get 150, um, roughly. Is that math right? Yeah, three times five. Um, And so 150 pounds of just meat, and then if there's a rack, whatever the hell the rack weighs, and then your gear. And so if it's a, which a 500-pound elk is pretty realistic in Colorado, that's like a small bull or an average, like a 5 by 5 is going to weigh five to 600 pounds. So you're going to have 150 to 180 pounds of meat. How much can you carry out at one time, do you think, in two miles? Um, I could probably do like 75, 75, 80 pounds. Yeah, so with your gear, let's say you have 50 pounds of gear and then 170 pounds of meat, you're at, what, 320 or 220? That's right, 220 pounds. So that's three trips, um, you know, roughly. So it, it's doable. The, the problem, so where I am lazy is I don't want to make another trip, so I just carry it all at one time if I can. But, you know, long-term that can be an issue, and some people just can't do that. Like you, you can probably, you could carry 100 downhill, I think, no problem. Yeah. It's when there's uphill involved. Like I can carry 200 pounds downhill. It, yeah. Add some incline. It's, just, it's a problem. <laughs> so the other thing you can do is leapfrog it. So let's say you know there's a better spot to put the meat. Yeah. You can start leapfrogging it there, um, especially if buddies coming. And you can just say, hey, I'm going to take it down to the first creek crossing. It'll be 100 yards up on the north side, and you'll see the game bags, and they can grab it. You know, the key is just, one, not killing yourself because you need to be able to get back and get more. Uh, and then, two, keeping the meat um, cool. Yeah. So that would just probably what I would do is, like, is just take meat my first two trips, leave the gear in the head for the last. Yeah, and that, no, and that works. We talked about taking care of the meat and what you need to break it down. To go over it one more time, like with my kill kit, is uh, either a foldable like a Benchmade or a fixed blade uh, that I have a camp knife. I don't really use that for um, uh, too much other than just camp stuff. Uh, the Taito knife, game bags, cord, ribbon. Sometimes I bring gloves, um, you know, things like that. That's about all I need to even break down a moose. Um Taking care of the meat, we went over that too. Keep it cool. Don't overstep your distance. You you hike in, meaning if you go in five miles, uh, Dana Monroe, you <laughs> might be pushing the uh, ability you have to come out unless you have friends that you know can come in. Yeah. Um, so Or a packer or whatever. So, all right, now that we've talked about that, some of the shot placement, I did that shot placement video. Um, I, I hit a buck uh, this year cornering away real real hard and he ran like 30 yards and he died the amount of people that messaged me that said I had ruined all the meat from that hit was more than alarming because I'm wondering how many people 
when they hit an animal in the guts, leave it because they think the meat's bad. Yeah. Um, uh, a gut shot animal that lives for a long period of time, yeah, the, the meat <laughs> might be bad. But um, meaning just straight up guts. But in the case like with this one, it hit guts, liver, lungs, and heart. Yeah. Uh, so it died in 15 seconds. There's no problem with that on the on the meat. You're not. It's not spoiling any of the meat. It's uh, even the tenderloins were fine in that specific case. But yeah, I mean, if it's bathing in, you know, bile from the stomach on the tenderloins, you don't want to do it, but it doesn't hurt the exterior meat. There's a, a coating, a protection layer on the inside of the body cavity. So it's not touching. Uh, it's not like you're rubbing stomach parts and intestines <laughs> on the outside of the rear quarter. It doesn't yeah. touch any of that. Now the blood flow portion is different. That's where it comes into play. If you hit one in the stomach and it lives for, 14 hours and you're chasing the shit out of it yeah it's probably gonna be a little rough you might want to make that one into burger yeah um but if it dies pretty fast there's no uh no no issue at all now you spined your first ear you were saying yes and it i'm sure it probably tasted fine because it yeah died fairly quickly it tasted Uh, really good actually yeah um (laughs) like in your case on the the shot placement you did the you were here when we did the video yeah um did you learn anything from that video or did you know most of that stuff? And have you had, like, was there anything that popped up when we were doing that that you didn't say at the time or? Um, I, I mean, I think I knew, I knew most of it. There were a few things that were explained a little bit more in depth. Um, but that like the Phil, Phil's alpha bow hunting thing, they go, that helped a lot as far as shot placement and angles. Mm-hmm. It's, it was more just, kind of a realization to what I would shoot and what I would not shoot, like mm-hmm. the angles and, and all of that. I, I went over it with Cody Greenwood on his hunt in Texas. Um, I was talking about frontal shots and because yeah. he'd watched that video. And so I took a knife and stabbed certain spots of the cavity after, you know, once we had uh, gutted it and started breaking it down. Yeah. Because I was showing him how big the chest hole is and, and splitting that front shoulder. Because I stabbed my knife and just, like with a pound of pressure cut straight down. And I'm yeah. like, you know, that's a very viable shot. And then I, I showed where you don't want to hit on the frontal shot and the knife was like, just yeah. stopped. And I'm like, yeah, so that's the bad spot. Um, but on those hits, so, you know, as far as people with questions, um, the gut shot thing was, was one, yeah. um, the frontal shot and the, the cornering shot, all the stuff we talked about on that, that video, and if people are wondering what we're talking about, on YouTube, we took a 3D target and we went over 360-degree shot placement video. Some of the shots, like, people were like, I've taken that shot and I loved it. Other people were like, yeah, I would never. Like, you you said you wouldn't take a frontal, I think, or something. It was, I think it was quartering too really hard. Yeah. And it's, I think a lot of those shots are just your ability and, you know, what you can hit if you can if you're a shooter like you you know you can you can take a little bit more of a chance plus um, my bow the yeah. arrow weight is another one the yeah. arrow weight and the, the momentum that's yep. another part of it yeah like if you're a crappy shot hitting where for me i mean i would feel comfortable hitting a, a two-inch square at 40 yards because i do all the time but for someone who doesn't shoot past 20 they may not even want to think about taking a shot at 40 yeah or or a yeah a, a, a odd angled shot so yeah. on those different um shots for example how long will what'll happen when you hit the liver of an animal what's the animal do um 
what like I mean it'll die, won't it? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so this is why I brought Dana on. Um, how long will it live, and what will it, what's it, what are going to be its immediate what's its immediate reaction normally? Uh I don't know. I think it. I mean, I I don't think it has any consequences immediately. It may slow it down for a minute, and then it'll go on its way for a couple hours. Um. No. No. Uh, no. <laughs> um. <laughs> It you know, normally they'll uh, they're not real happy when they get hit in the liver. They'll live maybe four hours, um, but they don't generally. They'll go about 150 yards and bed up. Um, okay. They're not real happy with a liver shot. Almost always, actually, the 100 150 yards, and they're they're gonna bed up. Um, they'll, it just takes them a while to die. Yeah, hours. you know, with a liver shot, a lot of times they're in so much pain. I'll try and sneak in and hit them again. Um, you can blow them out, and obviously that can be problems. If you're a good tracker, it's an area that's easy to track. Um, you don't want the animal to be in misery for too long, and if it's a solid liver hit, yeah, they're probably not real keen on getting back up. Although they they do want to live, so they yeah. will. But roughly 150 yards, they're going to bed up and they'll die within four hours. So on a stomach hit, how long? What what to do with that one? How long are they going to live? How long does it take for septic shock to come in? A while. That's not, it gotta, <laughs> it gotta be <laughs> me more, more exact. Um, I don't know, maybe a couple days before a stomach shot will kill him. 12 to 14 hours. Usually sometime it can take longer than that, uh, for septic shock. I mean, they live a while, uh, for sure. And, and I, they will live longer 12 to 14, but a good rule of thumb is 12 to 14 hours. Wait overnight and look the next day. What about one lung hit? Um, I mean, can't they, they can live quite a while with just one lung, can't they? Maybe not they can a live forever. great, but. Yeah, no, they'll, they'll be, they can be humping in a week. Okay. Uh, with, it's depressing actually. So, and a, a one lung hit animal can live forever. Okay. Unless uh, they can get infection or if you hit something else other than the lung. Yeah. But if you hit one lung, you're pretty well fucked. Um, it's depressing. So you kind of almost have to run it down to get another shot. Um, cause generally on a blood trail for a one lung hit animal is initial blood. You're super happy. You see lung blood. That's good. Mm-hmm. Right? It's coming out of the mouth. And then as you track it, there's a, but a bed with blood in it that's coagulated. And then you never find your animal. That's generally what happens with a one lung hit. Um, it's like taking Christmas away, um, <laughs> or putting like some super hot dude naked in front of you and just snatching them away. <laughs> that is what a one lung hit does. Um, and it, it happens more frequently than people probably, you know, think because yeah. uh, you have that initially good blood and then you have the, the lung blood and all the things that you you want to have and then you have no animal because they, I mean, I, I saw a bull get hit in one lung and then I, he was humping like a month later or a week well, later, two yeah. weeks, he was getting after it. So it didn't slow him down too much. And humans live with one lung and yeah. we're not nearly as tough as an animal. So <laughs> that's true. Watch that video. Uh, I strongly encourage everyone to watch that video. It's pretty informational. You know, there is like a lot of people say, when in doubt, back out. I wouldn't say that's probably the best advice for some people. Like if you have a bad hit, back out. Um, In the case of a one lung hit animal, I would say when in doubt, like try to get another arrow in it because you're probably not going to find it. Yeah. Um, Depending upon the terrain and all that shit. Like obviously if it's an area, you're not going to probably get another shot. Never mind. But um with a gut hit, you definitely want to you back out because they're they're going to die and you don't want to push them and they can run a long ways with um, yeah. a stomach hit. 
the liver, you can get away with a little bit more. They're in so much pain. But, again, when in doubt, definitely back out. Um, if you're a good shot and you're real good at still hunting, it may not be a horrible idea to try to get another arrow in them. But you can you can push them. Um, it just it, it depends. And didn't Braden, did Braden hit one of elk this year? Yeah, he killed an elk this year. I know he, I know, I know he killed one. Or, no, did he no, hit a he stick? No, he hit a tree. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> Can't blood trail trees. Never mind. Um, I'm trying to think who it was. Somebody hit one this year, and I, I thought the different scenarios where you hit different animals. In this, this video, we talked about it. Um, you know, there's a pleuric artery that runs down the kind of the bottom of the stomach and up the rear quarter. Yeah. Sometimes you think you have a gut shot animal, and they just flip over and die. It's generally hitting that artery, artery that'll do it. There's an artery up by the tenderloin up on this back strap. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll kill them pretty quickly. The ass cheek has one, the femoral artery. You know, if you hit those, generally though, like they're going to die like a like a lung or heart hit. So it can happen where you think you have a stomach hit and you let them sit and you didn't. Me too, but most of the time, unless it's really choked up wooded area, they're probably going to tip over and you know die right like right then. Yeah. Um, so it gives you a better idea. Uh, you have any questions as we're going on here? Not yet. No, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Um, okay, so then the next one uh, I wanted to cover, staying warm. This is in a tree stand. I had a, tons of questions with layering systems and hot hands and shit like that. So you froze your ass off, you, your feet? Is that yes. What, yeah. yeah, my feet always get really cold. What boots did you have? Uh, Do you have like rubber? Yeah, the rubber, boots? like the, I think the lacrosse boots. Were they, Levi would be happy. He's, he's a big sponsor of uh, uh were they the insulated ones? Yeah, I think they were only 800 uh, grams of insulation. And so were they warm for like the first hour and then they your feet were sweaty and then they were cold as shit? They, I don't know if they were ever really warm. They were yeah, warm was- when I took them <laughs> off the boot dryer and put my feet in there. Yeah, they got cold. Um, yeah, yeah, they, I got cold really quick. So with like your feet and your, your hands, uh, well, and your body, but your feet, there's a couple problems. One is your feet, well, if you have too much insulation your feet will sweat on the way to the tree stand yeah they'll be warm for a while and once the sweat cools then you're you're fucked and then the other problem is like you you just don't have good blood flow which sounds like you and i don't um the only way my feet are going to be warm is if i walk to the tree stand and get them warmed up so i have to use hot hands i have to put those or heated socks um that stuff's all pretty easy because it's pretty simple heated sock does it or a hot hand does it my body though i use those thermocare um some of them are for like lower back pain i think did i give you some yeah um i stick those all over my by my kidneys because that's important i'll put them by my neck um did those help you or did you have to use yeah yeah i use like the the sticky hand warmers i had them like on my shoulders on my chest on my back and my legs i i stuck those everywhere yeah so that that's a pretty key um i, when I say key that is i kind of have to have that in really cold weather tree stand hunting yeah but even in the high country uh depending upon if it's a late season hunt i take those hot hands the big 18 hour ones i, I yeah. take them everywhere i put them in my hand muff because on stocks keep you know i can keep my hand at least in my hand muff because i have to have my glove off but uh some of the other things like sleeping and we've talked about this on other podcasts you could have five nights in a shelter with the same sleeping bag and have a different comfort level uh, depending each each night um, dehydration causes your feet 
to be cold. So if you know you don't want to piss all night, so you're not drinking water, that'll do it. But also how you know how warm you're getting in the bag. The the bag's not generating any heat. It's your your body. Yep. So I try to never like dilly dally when I hop in the sack. Um, I get my boots off and I I get my feet in the sleeping bag immediately because um, my body's you know producing some heat. Yeah. If you sit it in bullshit like we sit by the campfire and talk forever or by our tents and then my feet get cold they're not probably going to warm back up so I have to do some laps before I I usually knock out like 50 to 100 (laughs) push-ups before I get in the sleeping bag and walk around do you have that problem or just your feet um well I've only archery hunted really out here I haven't done a whole lot of well that's not true um you haven't had any I horrible nights in the tent yet? No, <laughs> none none of that. Well, yeah. yes, but it was very early, early on. Mm-hmm. So I've I've learned a lot about just my layering system and what I need to do. And one of the times that I realized I was having problems is because I only brought one pair of socks and I was hiking around and my feet get a little bit sweaty. And then when I take my boots off, they... Get really cold because yeah, my socks are all sweaty. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely, um, if it's like super cold, like that snow we had this year, I would try to get in the, you know, my tent as warm as I could, which is difficult because it was like 12 degrees. And then I'd actually turn on my reactor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd change my socks out and then I'd get my feet warm as I could off the stove just above them and then jam them in the sleeping bag. Or I would uh, boil water and throw it in an algae and then throw that in the bottom of my sleeping bag yeah i've done that too and then if you carry hot hands in a lot of times about an hour before i go to bed i'll open one up throw it in the bottom of the the sleeping bag and then that'll that'll help produce some heat too and and these aren't if you have a really warm bag and good blood flow you're not going to have any problems but if you're pushing the limit of your sleeping bag and then also pushing the limit of kind of your layering system and you're going lightweight on everything that's where body heat really kind of comes into play so you know i i i you know, I, t- I talked about this initially saying staying warm in general, the layering systems, another one, like yeah. there's this, it's saying you sweat, you die, um, which isn't the case, but I mean, you definitely can be, you want to, you want your layering system to be whatever the parts and pieces of your layering system are. You want to be able to dress up or down for that specific activity level that you're doing. So you're just warm enough, uh, that you're not sweating, yeah. um, or just sweating a little bit. Uh, so you're not basically when you stop, the wind isn't immediately turning the sweat to, to cold. So what do yeah. you wear for your system, like for backpacking or Western hunting? Um, this year, I, I, I think I kind of, kind of got it this year. Um, I wore like the Sitka Merino, the women's Merino layer, base layer. And then I would do, uh, the heavyweight layer and then run the, what is it? The. The vest, I can't think of the name of the vest. Is it a Jetstream vest? Yes, the Jetstream vest, and then my Kelvin Active, and then the Kafaru Parka. Yeah, that should do it. You do get cold. That's even more than I bring. And Um, that's, I wore that on every single trip. (laughs) Yeah, I I will say that I do something like that for my whitetail system. I generally, you know, I have um, usually like a long, just a long sleeve merino or whatever, and then a t-shirt over that, but then I have the core heavyweight hoodie or a fanatic or something and then i put the kelvin active and then i i put that 
big puffy fleece like a stratus or whatever the hell it is over that yeah and then like western hunting i'll do the same thing i'll have the kelvin active and then i'll put like the the kelvin light puffy over that when Mm -hmm. it's super cold um the key is like on the western hunting stuff is just don't sweat uh too too much um because i generally like what i have on is it um and so bring an extra shirt that you can change into yeah i mean and that's something um you know whether if you like if i wear a merino t-shirt it's like a 140 weight so it dries super fast i don't wear a lot of merino other than a base layer because it's um it's hard to dry and it gets super heavy when it's when it's wet so i try to wear synthetics other than my my base layer but the you know the key i have tons of people always like can you give me my system it's pretty simple i mean you need a lightweight top and a heavier weight top a a puffy and some rain gear um, yeah. will get you pretty much anything you need. Uh, what pants do you wear? Uh, for archery, for early season archery, I do the just the prana pants. And then for the rifle hunt I went on this year, I wore the, the Sitka Timberline pants. Gotcha. Did you like those? They're kind of yeah. hot. Yeah, they're, they're warm for yeah. warm. <laughs> yeah. But they do really well to, to keep me warm in the colder temps. Yeah. Did you did you have any um, like this year? Because you got your ass kicked a little bit on the Western hunting stuff, didn't you? Yeah. How'd that go? What happened? <laughs> uh, archery elk was just um, just kicked my ass totally. Like I my body was wrecked after that. I I just I didn't prepare as well this year. I didn't have as much time to prepare as much as I wanted to, and then probably pushed it just a little bit too much on the weight of my pack, the length of the trip and all of that. How long was the trip? We planned six days and we stayed five. What happened? We, one of the kids killed a deer and (laughs) so we, we packed that out. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. How far did you guys go in? Probably five miles. Yeah. How heavy was your pack? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know exactly, but too heavy. (laughs) Yeah. Did you, uh, was it one of those deals where you threw it on in your house and you're like, this isn't too bad? And then the reality of the weight, like, set in in the first half mile where you're like, what the hell was I thinking? Uh, no, no, it was, it was, you knew it I knew it was going to suck the yeah. whole time. Yeah. What, what, what could you drop out of there now looking back? Nothing. You needed everything? Yeah. I, I've gone through that so many times. Like, what can I take out of this bag to make it lighter? And I just, yeah, you just have to toughen up. Yep. <laughs> What do you think it weighed? Like forty five? Oh, more than that. Yeah, I think it was probably sixty five ish pounds. There's no fucking way, unless you fucked up. It was heavy. <laughs> There's no way that I, I have to. We're gonna have to sit down and go over your list because there is definitely shit you can get out of that pack for a five day hunt for that weight. We make it six four, days. Six. We make it 14 <laughs> off six, off that much weight. 65 is heavy. It was heavy. I believe you it was heavy. <laughs> I just don't think it was 65 pounds. Maybe it was. I think it was, it was, I, I lift a lot of weights. Yeah. I, it was heavy. Well, <laughs> we can definitely get some shit out of that thing if it was 65 pounds. Cause you should be for like six days, like 45, um, pounds. Yeah. No, no kidding. I promise. Yeah. Uh, Without <laughs> optics, yeah. If you weren't carrying a spotter, or, um, uh, you know, anything like that. Yeah. I mean, I went in for 11, and um, I had camera gear, and my pack was 58 pounds. 
Yeah. It's pretty Spartan though. Like there is, I know there's a lot, like I'm, you know, there's a lot of things I wish I was taking and I, yeah. I don't. Well, I'm, I'm not, that's the thing is like, I wasn't super comfortable. So it's not like I, <laughs> it's not like I had all this extra stuff to make me that yeah. much more, more comfortable. comfortable. Yeah. But it, yeah, it wrecked me. We'll have to look at it. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> if you're not used to that. And it was funny, Cody Greenwood on this last hunt, we were hunting for mule deer. He was looking at these, the, the mountains we were in and yeah, he's like, you guys hike up that? And I'm like, yeah, with like 60, 70 pounds of shit for yeah. like multiple miles. And I just don't think um, maybe people probably understand what they're getting into when they when they get out here. It is daunting. Some do, obviously, yeah. and some are fine. But um, how was the terrain where, where you guys went in? Um, it was pretty good. Pretty. It wasn't too uh, too steep for the first few miles. It was like the last mile and a half that was straight up. Yeah. And that took us a, a decent amount of time to... Were you the only one sucking or was everybody sucking? No, everybody was. (laughs) I wasn't the worst off though. That's Who was the worst? Uh, Tyler, Mike's buddy. He he had, his pack was even heavier. He doesn't have really like backpacking stuff. He had, he had the fulcrum and he had stuff hanging out the side of it and everything. Yeah, that's never good. (laughs) Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I, you know, on that, like with the weight, people, you know, are, think how much your pack should weigh right when you go and and i take it uh for granted i've done this so much like i don't even look like yeah. i know what goes in my pack i don't even weigh anything i actually i don't even want to weigh it anymore because i don't want to know but generally you're looking at for a sleep system seven pounds you mm-hmm. know give or take um people are probably listening now my sleep system weighs four well, i'm proud of you but on average seven pounds is pretty close with the pad and the bag and the tent yeah um and then food you're probably at 32 ounces a day, 30 maybe, you know, so 100, 100, 100 calories an ounce. So 32, you know, two pounds a day. Um, yeah, if I you're think really that's where it I down. really struggle. It's like I need to get my food dialed in, I think. Yeah, I, you brought too much. I n- probably too heavy. Yeah, too much just, food. Yeah, just or need better food. Better food, yeah. Yeah. And I try to pack mine in ahead of time. I'm not going to, so I can eat more because what my food looks like when I can pack food in ahead of time, I don't even worry. I just eat. Like I pack so much extra food in, but when I have to go pack it in, you know, for the hunt, yeah, my food looks a lot different. Like I'm counting the time by like, like I have meals at different times where when I pack my food in, I just eat when I'm hungry and I'm always hungry. So I just pack a shitload in, but you kind of want to figure at least two pounds a day for, for food, um, roughly. And then, you know, depending if you go really light, you can just use aqua tabs or a Steripen or, or just aqua tabs and that'll lighten things up and a head, you know, just a headlamp, no extra batteries. Like you can get pretty light, but yeah, if anything ever, well, like Abby was about shit over my med kit. (laughs) Like if anything crisis level hit, like all I have is like duct tape and some glue and I don't have much. But it's it's because I don't want to carry it, right? Um, so yeah, I'd be interested to see what your pack, what what it was that you had in oh, there. I it was heavy. What I would you have that. changed on the trip? Because that was your first like long backpack trip. That wasn't was the it? longest. Like I've done, I think four, three, like three nights, four days. I yeah, about that long. But I'd never gone about six. I think. I think I would just be more comfortable about three days, just splitting trips up and, you know, going in for three, 
come back out, restock, and go back in. Yeah. But it was, it was rough. What would you have done differently? Not gone up so high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we were above the elk anyway. Like, we could hear them below us. And so, like, I was at a point where I didn't even want to go chase the elk because I would have had to climb back up the mountain. How much does that come into play? Like, I think I sent you into one spot for mule deer and elk, or was it just uh, mule deer? Mule deer. You saw mule deer, didn't you? Like big ones and scouting? I saw earlier? a couple scouting, yeah. yeah. And then I saw some does when I was in there hunting. So how much does the uh, the fitness come into play? Um, or, it, or oxygen, I guess. It, it, you, oxygen is the yeah. bigger point because, I mean, I was fit, but it, hiking at that elevation with that much weight on your back, that's where it really, really hit me. Do you think you can like mentally suck it up through that or is that something that you're think it's going to be training um probably a little bit of both yeah just how bad you want to suffer yeah that's there's probably. some i mean there's like there were some points where my body like i just physically didn't feel like i had it in me and like my feet hurt so bad packing out and boots you know the gear comes into play those boots were probably not ideal um <laughs> <laughs> and uh but they just they hurt my feet just cramping no just just pain yeah just pure pain and that was that was probably the most miserable part is just my feet hurt so bad gotcha how come didn't you wear them beforehand yeah that's just the way they hurt less when i first got those boots than when I used them this year. The, yeah, the more. Do you think some of it was just the weight on your back? Probably. I think your that had a big. Used to it? Yeah, I think that had yeah. a big, a big thing to do with it. Was they was it get bad going in? Yeah. Yeah. Not as bad, but and I think the downhill, you know, all that pressure on my feet too. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would you change then, other than what we've talked about? Anything else? Uh, no. Yeah. No. Did you guys see any elk? No. Heard some didn't see any that sucks when that happens yeah huh i'll be damned um well we're getting close to an hour here is there anything else you want to cover uh no are you sure do you have any other hunts left no i'm done with this for this year sadly <laughs> don't worry i have plenty <laughs> left i'll hunt enough for you <laughs> okay uh, yeah you're like whatever all right well i wanted to cover that stuff so i'm glad you were able to hop on here we should probably do more q a podcasts just for the simple fact the amount of questions i get i can't remember them all but yeah so all right well thanks for hopping on everybody thanks for tuning in maybe we'll start a post for a q a um yeah. when i get back from this next trip yeah that'd be a good idea dana handles all the social media stuff so cool <laughs> all right everybody well thanks for tuning in and dana thanks for hopping on thank you mm-hmm.